Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Exploring science in the sea. Penguins may look cool, but they never seem to get cold. And recent research has provided some reasons tiny holes in their feathers, and a special oil that acts as a sort of antifreeze. Researchers compared the feathers of two types of penguins, the Gentoo, which lives in Antarctica, and the Magellanic, which lives in the warmer climate of South America. The Gentoo is the third largest of all Antarctic penguins. An average adult is about two and a half feet tall and weighs about 12 pounds. It spends a lot of time hunting for food in the frigid Antarctic waters. And when it gets out of the water, the air can be even colder. Yet the Gentoo's feathers remain ice-free. To find out why, the researchers looked at Gentoo and Magellanic feathers with a scanning electron microscope. And they found that Gentoo feathers are pockmarked with tiny pores. The pores trap air, which is warmed by the penguin's body. The researchers also found that Gentoo feathers are coated with a special oil produced by a gland near the bird's tail. The penguins work the oil into their feathers, which causes water to form small, round beads. There's little contact between the beads and the feathers, so there's not much surface to transmit cold from the water to the penguins. And the oil helps ensure that the water drips away before it has time to freeze. The researchers suggest that their work could lead to new techniques for keeping ice off the wings of airplanes, protecting flying birds with the help of flightless ones. Science in the Sea is a production of the University of Texas Marine Science Institute at Port Aransas and is available as a weekly podcast at scienceinthesea.org. I'm Holly Brawley. Original thinker and activist Tom Hartman joins the lineup weekday afternoons here on KCAA. But a cop to deal with discipline problems? It's turning a school into a prison. It's teaching kids how to be afraid of authority figures. It's teaching them, oh, yes, officer, no, officer. Oh, don't please don't beat the crap out of her. Oh, wow, we're going to beat the crap out of her. This is so wrong. Join Tom Hartman weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 on KCAA, 1050 AM and 106.5 FM. If you're booking a cruise out of Galveston, we suggest you add a few days to your vacation and rent a Galveston Island beachfront home. Our fully furnished homes are equipped with central air, washer-dryers, dishwashers, cable, wireless internet, and unlimited telephone service. Step off the lower deck of your beachfront vacation home and walk 50 feet to the tideline, where you can fish for speckled trout, redfish, and whiting. Watch the pelicans, and they'll show you where to cast your line. Enjoy horseback riding on 
the beach, jet skiing, deep sea fishing, dolphin tours, Schlitterbahn Water Park, and the famous Moody Gardens. Tour historical homes, art galleries, and antique shops, and enjoy Galveston's nightlife with award-winning restaurants and live music from jazz to rock and roll. Our homes rent for less than hotel rooms on a per-occupant basis. Call 832-452-0528 or visit our website, www.texasbeachfrontvacations.com. For more local radio every day, tune into KCAA Loma Linda. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Pastor David McNary. If you have a Bible with you today, let me invite you to turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm number 118, please. Psalm 118. All around the world today, there are people, even many of them Christians, who are facing distress in their lives. They're facing spiritual distress, many of them. Some of them are there in their homes today. Some of them uh, are in places of recreation. They're just looking for some fulfillment. They're looking for some satisfaction. They're looking for some relief from the distress that they're facing. And still others of those are in places of worship today, of various kinds, by the way. They're seeking answers to life's problems. I think there's a lot of people around us who would express with the psalmist, as he states in Psalm 13, 1 and 2, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Now you say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I don't have any enemies. Yes, you do. You have one. I know you have one. If you're a child of God today, you have one. He is the old devil. He's the old devil. He's your enemy. He wants to bring you down. And by the way, he would rather bring you down than hurt a non-believer any day. Because then he uses you as a tool against others. Most of us either have been there or will be there at some point in our lives feeling lonely, feeling victimized, wanting to escape sometimes even forgetting all the good things that God has done for us. We're like prodigals far from the Father and the safety of home, feeling barren and dry and forsaken. Anybody ever feel that? You don't have to raise your hands. Because I know, all I have to do is look around. There may be one here young enough that hadn't experienced it yet, or at least can't express yet that they've experienced it, But if you live long enough, you will experience times of distress and disturbance and difficulty in your life. So today we're going to look at something. It's found over in Psalm number 118. It's verses 5 through 14 where the psalmist not only tells us how it feels to be in distress, but he also tells us, and it's it's a joyous thing because he tells us how to deal with distress. So the message today is titled simply, Dealing with Distress. Okay? Dealing with Distress. Let me read the passage for you in Psalm 118, beginning in verse 5 through verse 14. The psalmist says, I called upon the Lord in distress. Now I guess maybe that's where I got the idea for the title. I called upon the Lord in distress. He said, I was hurting. I was 
far from where I felt like I needed to be. I wasn't experiencing the joy of the Lord. I was in distress. And he said, the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. I want you to notice something here. We're talking about dealing with distress. It's not about victory over distress. It's not about deliverance from distress. All of those things are things we would like to know and experience, but usually we have to go through it and arrive at the other side. And so what he's talking about here is dealing with it until we get to the other side, wherever that may be. It may be heaven before we get there. He gives us the keys to dealing to dealing with distress here in this passage of Scripture. The first key to dealing with distress is fellowship with the Lord. Fellowship with the Lord. Now one of the problems that I've noticed with people is whenever they whenever they start to deal with distress or whenever they have distress in their lives, the first thing they do is go go back away and blame God for it. God, why did you let this happen to me? You know, why am I having this struggle? Lord, you know that I belong to you, you know that I'm your child, you know that I've been living for you and serving you, and we probably have a higher opinion of ourselves than Maybe we should, but we say those kinds of things to God. Why is this happening to me? And then we don't understand. We aren't willing to put ourselves in the hands of the Lord. David said he knew how to handle it. He said, I called upon the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. That literally means distress had me bound, but the Lord set me free. When you're in a large place, you know, if you've been confined and you've been bound up and you've been caged up, you notice your little dogs or your little animals and you put them in their cage, you know. And whenever you open the door to that cage, they come bounding out and they just run and they go as far as they can go to see what's been happening while they were all caged up. Aren't we like that? Aren't we like that? We've been in distress. We've been bound. We've been caged up. You remember when God created Adam and Eve? He gave them a home in the Garden of Eden. It was a special place. It was, it was a place that was... Easy labor for them. In fact, you wouldn't even have called it labor. You know, there's a lot of people that, that plant gardens, and they just get out there and work and work and work in their gardens. They work harder at that than they do maybe anything else, but they call it a joyful time. It's a time of serenity. It was easy, and that's the way it was in the Garden of Eden. But then they sinned against God, and when they sinned against God, what was the first thing they did? They hid from God. Now, the Bible tells us that even though God knew what they had done, He already knew what they had done, but even though He knew what they had done, He came to have fellowship with them. And there was a certain place, I, su I assume, in the garden where they met every day, and it wasn't amongst the trees of the garden, which is where Adam and Eve went because they had sinned against God. Notice that the broken fellowship wasn't God's fault. 
It wasn't God's fault. Okay? God didn't leave them. No, He came looking for them. The broken fellowship was their fault. They knew that God would come. And so because they knew that they had sinned, it's a little thing, it's a little thing that's called guilt. And because they knew that they had sinned, they hid from God because they didn't want God to find out what they had done. Instead of coming to the Lord and saying, God, we messed up. I wonder what would happen if they had done that, Brother Terry. Hmm. You wonder what would have happened. But they didn't do that. Rather than that, they hid from God, and so judgment came on them. They tried to hide, and then they tried to shift the blame. Adam said it was Eve's fault, and Eve said it was the devil's fault. Sound familiar? (laughs) Guys, I know you guys, and you always say it was your wife's fault. Folks, these are classic methods of trying to deal with distress. You know, we want to take it into our own hands. We're so interested in relief sometimes that we may even try to rationalize or justify or just blame somebody else. But please remember, no matter what distress you are experiencing that you are facing, God is seeking you, just like He did them. God is seeking you because He wants to have fellowship with you. And that fellowship is the beginning of dealing with distress. I read a I read a, a little article by Kim Shearer, and she wrote this. She said, One night while my young son Ryan was sleeping, a storm began brewing outside, and after a loud clap of thunder, I heard Ryan wake up, so I headed toward his room to comfort him, where he asked me to stay with him until he fell back to sleep. As I lay there, I realized Ryan hadn't asked me to make the storm go away, but to stay with Him. She said, how many times I wondered, have I asked God to take away the storms of life when instead I need to ask Him to stay with me and help me weather them more peacefully. Isn't that true? Isn't that the way we are? God, don't let this happen. Or God, take this away. Rather than saying, God, I'm just going to get with you and together we're going to do this. Whatever it is that we have to do, we're going to be able to accomplish the will of the Lord as we work together in fellowship with Him. So what we need, really need in times of distress, first of all, is to have fellowship with the Lord. Don't push Him away. Don't push Him away. Whether it's, a, whether it's a sin problem or whether it's some other problem, don't push Him away, but rather draw close to Him. And as you draw close to Him, He will help you. He will encourage you through the times of distress. So the first thing is fellowship with the Lord. The second key to dealing with distress is having faith in the Lord. Having faith in the Lord. Going back to chapter 18, let's take a look beginning of verse 6. He said, The Lord is on my side. <laughs> I think that's an interesting thing. He said, oh yeah. You know, it's like the light bulb comes on. Oh yeah, God is on my side. So he says there, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? So he goes on to say in verse 8, it is better to what? Trust in the Lord. In verse 9 he says it is better to trust in the Lord. Listen folks, I want to tell you something. We need to Trust in the Lord. We need to put our faith in the right place. We need to put our faith in God. When we reach a point of serious distress, it's easy to become so caught up in trying to solve the problem ourselves that we forget 
that we belong to the Lord and that He's on our side. As a child of God today, I want you to know something. You belong to God, okay? You belong to the Lord. And He's on your side. You don't have to do anything special to make Him be on your side. He already is. Somebody said, well, how can I gain favor with God? You can't. You're already His favorite, just so you know. Well, next to me. You know, you're His favorite. You already have favor with God. He is already on your side. And I think sometimes, even though we know that we have faith, we still need to remind ourselves, don't we? We need to remind ourselves that we have faith and that faith is what brings about the good things that happen in our lives. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 through 35 and verse 37, listen to these words, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Now listen. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He is on your side. Listen. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who has that right? Who has that authority? Who has that power is what he's asking. Nobody. He said it's God that justifieth. And it's not based on who you are or what your name is. It's not based on the fact that you do all kinds of good things or you keep the commandments or you're charitable and give to all these kind of things. It's not about that. It's God who chose to justify you. You can't be justified except through faith in Jesus. Then he goes on to say, Who is he that condemneth? All right. Who has the right to condemn me? And who has the right to condemn you? The only one who has that right is Christ, and He won't because He loves you. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh, who also maketh intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Now I want you to listen to this. He asked the question, Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Now listen, I want to do it one more time. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Distress? That's one of the words. Distress? He says, no! In all things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Not of our own strength, not of our own power, but because of God and His strength and His power. And He says that when we are His through faith, He's the one who justifies, He's the one who protects us, He's the one who encourages us, but we have to, to put ourselves in the place where we need to be, and we do that through faith. We have to trust God just like the psalmist said. Folks, reestablishing our faith in times of distress is an important part of the healing process and getting back to where we should be. I love what I heard. I heard somebody say this one time, and I wrote it down because I love it. Listen to what he says. It is better to trust in the Lord. He can do more for me accidentally than I could ever think about doing for myself on purpose. Isn't that true? Now, there are no accidents with God, but what he's saying is that if he almost doesn't do anything, it's still more than I can do for myself, and yet I want to trust in me. And you want to trust in you. I know, we're that way. But the Lord can do those things for us. We must believe in Him, and that belief, that faith, causes us to follow Him 
and do the will of the Lord. Then the third thing I want you to notice he talks about, he talks about what is it? Fellowship with the Lord. He talks about the second key, and that's faith in the Lord. And then he talks about the third key, and that's being fortified by the Lord. Verse 14, he said, The Lord is my strength and song, and has become my salvation. Now throughout the early books of the Old Testament, we read about the judges, and we read about the kings, and we read about wars, and we read about battles, and we read about victories, and we read about losses, times of blessing, and times of famine. But one thing becomes very evident, and that is that the strength of the nation of Israel was directly related to their willingness to serve the Lord. It's directly related to their willingness to serve the Lord. Now, in our Sunday school lesson, we've been talking about the fact that God brought them to the promised land. Last, that was last week. Brought them to the promised land. They went in, spied it out, and they said, oh, we can't do it. They're too big. They're giants in the land. And so God said, okay, you don't want to go in. i got a place for you. See that desert out there? That's going to be home for the next 40 years. Now, you know why it was 40 years, right? Because that was, that was probably about the lifespan of the people then, okay? And all of those unbelievers were going to die out and not get to see the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb, and I assume their families, and they were the only ones that got to pass over into the promised land. And so he sent them out into the desert. And today then, we talked about the fact that they moaned, groaned, and griped, and complained, you know? Well, this food that you're giving us for free is nasty. It's nasty. We don't, we don't like it. Moses, why did you and God bring us out here? We're going to die out here in the wilderness. And so God said, okay, I can handle that. So he sent all these poisonous snakes into the camp. They started biting people. And they were getting sick and they were dying. And the first thing they did is said, we've sinned against God. Do we know that? Sure we do, don't we? We know when it is that we sin against God. We've sinned against God, and you know what? God came to their rescue, and He provided a way out for them. He provided healing, provided life-saving, a life-saving process for them. But, it, but listen, I want to tell you something, and I, I love this. We talked about it this morning, and I love this about that story. God gave them the brazen serpent, one for all the people, a foreshadowing of, of what was to come, that Christ was the one sacrifice, you see. He gave them the brazen serpent. One of them set up in the middle of the camp, and you know what else there was about it? High and lifted up. Just like Jesus said would happen to him. High and lifted up. And so the serpent was there, and that was the means, that was the means of their deliverance. They had to come to the one and gaze upon it. Now listen, the reason that it worked is because you had to believe that it would work. If you came and you looked and you went, oh, this can't possibly work, then I assure you it didn't work. It didn't work. And you have to believe in Christ that He has paid the price for your eternal salvation. Listen, we are fortified by the Lord. One has said the glory of Israel was not in their army. The glory of Israel was in their God. Wow! I, listen, let's adopt that. Let's let that be America's statement. The glory of America is not in our armies, even though we have strong armies, not as strong as they used to be, but even though we have strong armies, it's not in our army, it's about God. And if we survive, it's going to be because God says so. 
Not because of our armies, not because of our politicians, not because of anything else, but because God says so. And so we need to get back to God and He will fortify us. He will build us up. He is the one who will make us strong. When they consulted God to discover His will and did what He led them to do, then they were victorious. And it didn't have to be logical. <laughs> it didn't have to be reasonable or rational. It just had to be the will of God. That's all. Just the will, just the will of God. He says, the Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. The Lord is my strength and my song and is what? Become my salvation. Folks, your eternal salvation is the most humanly illogical thing that you will ever be privileged to know anything about. Think about it. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned in His whole life. Yet He was put to death. You are a sinner against God. You are unable to save yourself. So you trust God through faith in Jesus. And by that faith, you are made right with God. So He gives to you eternal life. You tell me what's logical, what's reasonable about that. Why is it that one man dying could save the many? The thousands and the millions, in fact. How is it that that could be reasonable? It's not reasonable. It's not logical. But it's God's way. And because it's God's way, that's why it works. It happens as a result of your faith, His grace and your faith brought together and you're born again in the family of Almighty God. The psalmist told us the Lord is our salvation. The Scripture says, for by grace are you saved through faith. The psalmist says, the Lord is our song. Listen, He's the only one to whom we should bring praise and glory and honor. The Lord is our strength. Just like the children of Israel must never try to depend on our own strength. Listen, you can have the strongest, biggest army in the world, and it can be defeated. You remember how God did His armies? He said, well, there's 30,000, 40,000 of them. All we need is a couple hundred. So we're going to We're going to figure out which 200 we need and they would go in defeat. Or he could take a man like Samson and with the jawbone of a donkey, he defeated a thousand men, you know? Or he could take a little boy like David with his slingshot and five smooth stones and he can defeat the giant that was coming upon him. He said, I can't wear this armor and carry that shield. It's too heavy for me. This is all I need. What does he need? He needed the Lord. That's what he needed. As they said, it's not the size of your giants, it's the size of your God. And he believed in the one true God, and he was fortified. Paul wrote, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might that you may be able to stand. You know who, who he was talking about standing against? You remember that? That's over in Ephesians chapter 6. Be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's who. Listen, this battle that we face, the, the worst battle we'll ever face is a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle. And we have to depend on the Lord. We find our ability to deal with distress as we make ourselves closer and closer and closer to the Lord and pay attention to what He says. In an autobiography titled, The Source of My Strength, Charles Stanley related how God had faithfully worked throughout his life. But he continually states the importance of these three things. He's convinced that through prayer and Bible study, and Bible study and prayer, and that's, by the way, fellowship with the Lord, that we can discover Him, and we can discover His 
will and His purpose and His plan. And when we do the will of the Lord, listen, when you do the will of the Lord, you can be sure that He is pleased and that He is with you to see to it that you accomplish His plan. Then He says, secondly, now doing the will of the Lord always requires faith in the Lord. Faith in the Lord. Listen, if you're saying that God can't do it or God won't do it, then you're not believing what God has told you to do. And sometimes we hear the Word of the Lord. I think that we can relate to that in the Scripture, but we also can relate to it personally. We hear the Word of the Lord. God calls us to do something, invites us to participate in what He's doing, and we just say, well, I don't know if God can do this or not. It's called unbelief. It's called unbelief. We don't trust the Lord. We don't have faith in the Lord to do what God wants to do. Stanley says that he discovered that God would move heaven and earth to make His will known and to get His work done. Did you hear that? He'll do that. The third thing he said is remember that no matter how impossible things may seem, there's nothing too big for God. Nothing too big for God. No matter how difficult and unbelievable your distress might be right now, there's nothing too big for God Go to Him. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in others. Go to God. He is the one who can handle it. One good reason to let the Lord handle your difficulties is that when He resolves it, He doesn't necessarily have to hurt anybody else. If we resolve it, usually we've got to try to mix it up somewhere and cause problems and struggles that will happen for somebody else. But when you're in distress, when you're feeling lonely and vulnerable and victimized and barren and dry and far from home, that's when God if you'll trust in Him and fellowship with Him and, and allow Him to take control, that's when God can demonstrate the strength of His grace. Of His grace. Not of your goodness, but of His grace. The psalmist said, I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me. He answered me. And He set me in a large place. He set me free. He said, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. I will not fear. That's a statement of faith in the Lord. Father, I'm grateful today that, Lord, You not only tell us how to be saved and You not only... Show us that we can be a part of your family. But, Father, you also show us how we can deal with the struggles and the difficulties of this earthly existence, the problems that we face and the distress that we find ourselves in. God, we're grateful that you tell us how to do it. And then, Father, I'm grateful that we're reminded that, that all we have to do is come to you. Come to you. You are the one with the power. You are the one who has the strength. You are the one who knows best how to resolve it. Father, You are the one that can see us through it. And Father, You are the one that can make us grow, help us to grow spiritually and maturity as we go through the struggles of life. And Father, we, we, we want You, we, we would pray, Father, that You'd take them away. But God, rather than that, just give us strength and give us courage, give us faith to believe and trust You and follow You so that we might do what we need to do in the midst of our struggles, our distresses, and our distractions. God, speak to our hearts today. 
If there's a person here today who has not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ to trust him and believe in him, in him and enter into a relationship with him, I pray that today will be the day. Give them courage to come. Father, there are Christians here today who are letting their distresses weigh them down, bind them up, hold them back. Father, I pray that you will set them free today as they call upon you and as they find in you the strength that they need to survive. Father, just speak to our hearts today, I please, and, and God, give us strength and courage and faith to believe and to follow you. And these things, Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Pastor David McNary. If you have a Bible with you today, I want you to turn, please, to the next to the last book of the Bible. Turn to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, the little book of, of Jude, please. We're going to take a look at some scripture passages in the book of Jude. Throughout the Word of God, one of the things, uh, one of the truths which is continually ringing forth is man's total immersion in sin. The Apostle Paul says it's, uh, describes it like a job that uh, for which we receive our salary, we receive our wages. He says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. So we are all, he says, we're all sinners and that the conclusion to that is a death sentence. That brings us to our scripture for today, which is found in Jude verses 3 through 7. And our subject title today is Sin and Judgment. Throughout the, throughout the passage, he's going to speak about these two, sin and judgment, in tandem. And the reason he does that is because... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They go together. It's very evident that where you find sin, judgment is not far behind. Sin is the cause, judgment is the effect, and you'll not find one without the other. Uh, and in these passages that we're going to read today, we're going to find three specific biblical references that Jude makes to sin and the judgment which followed as a result of those sins. And in doing so, he's going to show us three separate categories of unfaithfulness to God. He's going to talk about three separate categories of unfaithfulness to God. And they are the things that you and I need to know about today because we need to avoid them at all costs, okay? It's a matter of us becoming, like we told the children, more like Christ. And becoming more like Christ, it's going to be necessary 
for us to avoid being caught up in the things that, uh, that the old world and the old devil has to offer to us. So if you will, look with me, please. Jude, verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. That's key to this passage of Scripture for us as believers today. We're to earnestly contend for the faith. And there's, there's more than one way that we do that, but we must be faithful to it. He said, uh, I exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Now, I think it's important to understand that. God knew ahead of time who would accept Christ, who would not accept Christ, who would live a godly life, who would even live an evil life. And He knew ahead of time. And so it can say to us today, they were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They were ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the things that are spoken of, of these men who were ordained of old to this condemnation, what it says to us in this verse it talks to us about the things that he's going to make reference to in those next verses, in verse 5, 6, and 7. And the things that we want to understand, those categories of unfaithfulness unto God. So I want you to notice with me, if you will, it began, uh, there in verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance. He said, let me remind you, Though you once knew this, he said, you've already heard it, and you know it to be true, but let me just remind you how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. There's a second thing. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And then the third thing, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering vengeance of eternal fire. Suffering vengeance of eternal fire. So you see, in verse 5, 6, and 7, first he talks about the sin, and then he talks about the judgment. This passage is totally given over to the subjects of sin and judgment. Now, first, he warns us in verse 5 about unbelief. Yeah, that's, that's what he's talking about in verse 5. He said that believed not. What happened? He destroyed those that believed not. Do you see that? He destroyed those that believed not. And so he's talking about unbelief. If you don't remember anything else that I say today, remember this one thing. Do I have your attention? If you don't remember anything else, remember this one thing. Unbelief is the root of all sin. Unbelief is the root of all sin. You go back to the Garden of Eden, what do you find? You find Adam and Eve, and what did they do? They chose not to believe God. God said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, the, the tree of good and evil, you will surely die. 
The devil said, no, you won't really die. That's not what you're going to become like God. You know, you're going to know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. And so they ate of the fruit of the tree. They chose not to believe God. It led to their disobedience and it led to their downfall. But the key, the root of that sin is unbelief. Jews' reference to unbelief of the Israelites was about when they stood poised, they stood poised at the uh, entrance to the promised land. God had promised them this land after their deliverance out of Egypt. And they stood poised, ready to go in. You remember what happened? They sent 12 spies into Canaan to scope out the land. And the 12 spies came back with a good report. Man, this land is flowing with milk and honey. But there's a problem. So they returned with their their report, and ten of the spies said, there's no way God has said that He's going to give us the land. God has been fighting for us. God's been doing all these things for us. We've watched the miracles of God over and over again as we wandered through the desert. And here we are at the promised land that He's promised us. There's no way we can go in and take this land because the cities are huge walled cities and the armies are massive armies. Not only were they massive in numbers, but they were massive in stature. These guys are giants. There were two spies, though, Joshua and Caleb, who were just willing to believe God. You know, they came back and says, it doesn't matter how big they are, how how big the cities are, how much, how, what size the walls are, it doesn't matter how, whether they're giants or not, that doesn't matter. God said it's our land, and He said we can have it. And so let's go and take it. That's basically what they said. They encouraged the Israelites to just trust God. But because of the negative report of the ten spies, the people, the Israelites, refused to follow God and to enter the land that He had promised to them. Please let this be a lesson to you. The majority is not always right. The majority is not always right. So as a result of their unbelief, what happened? God did what God does. He passed judgment on them. First of all, He sent His people, the Israelites, into the wilderness to wander aimlessly for 40 years. And I, and I use the word aimlessly i guess it really wasn't aimlessly because god led them in that 40 years he led them because he kept them away from the promised land and so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and then he refused god refused to allow any of the naysayers any of the unbelievers to survive the wilderness wandering that's why he left them out there 40 years. He gave them time for all of them to die off. All of those who, who were adults at the time and chose to say, no, we can't do it. The only exceptions were the two spies and their families who encouraged the people of God to believe God. Folks, I want to tell you something today. We live in a world plagued with unbelief. People today do not believe God is the final authority. In general, in general, they don't believe God is the final authority. In fact, they don't believe in a final authority. They don't even believe in ultimate truth. People today think everything is debatable. It's all up for a vote. 
Yeah, we can do what's wrong. Let's just vote to do what's wrong. And as long as we vote, then it's not wrong. It's all right. Situation ethics is normal in our culture today. And modern man is unwilling to believe that God judges sin. Oh, he's a loving God. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins in payment for your sins so that you might be changed. <laughs> so that you might not be like you were before, so that you might be changed, so that your sins might be forgiven, so that you might have an opportunity to go to heaven and be with God forever. But there's people today that don't believe God judges sin. Listen to the words of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 5 in verse 20 through 23. God says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now, did you remember the first word of that verse? Woe, it says. Woe unto them. That's talking about judgment. Then in verse 24, he says that they will be judged by fire because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. What? Why? Why is it that they're going to be Judge, well, they're calling good, evil, and evil good, darkness, light, and light, darkness, bitter, sweet, and sweet, bitter. They're doing that. That's, that's in total opposition to what God says in His Word. And so He says they're going to be judged by fire because they've cast away, they've cast away the commandment or the law of the Lord, and they're despising the Word of God. Folks, that's unbelief, and that's exactly what he's talking about here. You see, they've chosen not to believe God. People have chosen not to believe God concerning right and wrong, good and evil, life and death, and heaven and hell. You know, all everything that we're talking about on this hand, right, good, heaven, all that we talk about on this hand, they say, no, that's not right. I'll tell you what people will tell you today. They'll tell you everybody's going to heaven. Well, let me tell you something. Everybody that believes in Jesus as personal Savior and Lord is going to heaven. Everybody else is not going to heaven. And there's only one other place to go. Proverbs twelve thirteen says, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed. But he that feareth, that is, shows proper respect for the commandment, shall be rewarded. You see, it's a choice. It's a choice that we have to make as we live out our lives here on this earth. We can either despise the Word of God and reject the Word of God and live our lives in unbelief, or we can come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. The second category of sin, then, that he talks about is what I've called unchecked pride. Unchecked pride. Folks, pride is a sin which is older than the universe. Did you know that? Pride is a sin which is older than the universe, existing in the heart of the serpent before the world was created. We're told that Satan was a covering angel. He, he worked in the throne room of God. He was a covering angel in God's throne room until his pride caused him to decide that he was going to participate in and, and in fact 
lead a mutiny towards God. Literally, to gather up a group of angels together and to lead a mutiny against God. He believed that he could become God. He believed that he was God. And he set out to take over heaven. The result was that God judged him. Okay, pride was his sin. Unchecked pride was his sin. And God judged him. Now, how did God judge him? He said, "He said, let me help you find the door. You're in heaven with me right now, but I'm going to help you find the door out of heaven. And he released him. He released him, sent him out of heaven. He cast him out from heaven. So pride, first of all, is a sin that's older than the universe. Secondly, pride is a sin which keeps man or mankind in unbelief. Because when a man is overcome with pride, he becomes independent. When a man is overcome with pride, he becomes self-sufficient. And you know, we have to be cautious about that because we have a tendency. We're, we're like the old devil himself. We have a tendency to be prideful, to believe that what we've got, we got on our own, to believe what we've done, we did because of our own intellect. Folks, I want to tell you something. If you've done something right and done something good, it's because God showed you how and He allowed you to do it and gave you strength to. That's just the way it is. Because He is He is God. You see, a person who's overcome with pride thinks he doesn't need God. The Bible says, and this, by the way, this is another one of those verses out of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 21, it says, Woe! unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. You see, when a person is filled with pride, he doesn't need God anymore because he's figured out a way to get to heaven by his own merit, by his own merit, by his own, by his own design. Let me tell you about man's design. Proverbs 14.12 says, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The ways of death. He hasn't figured out how to get there on his own merit. He's figured out how to destroy himself, to send himself into eternal, eternal death. Folks, don't trust yourself. Trust God. He has the answer and he has the way. The third thing I want you to notice about pride is that it's a sin which God calls an abomination. It's not the preacher speaking. God calls it an abomination. In fact, out of the seven abominations mentioned over in the book of Proverbs 6, it is number one. <laughs> you know, you watch those lists on TV, the 10 best or the 20 best or whatever it is. You watch those things on TV. Well, listen, I want to tell you something. If you back these things down, it's going to be number one on the list. Proverbs six sixteen through 18 says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Under him, number one, a proud look. Second to that is lying, a lying tongue. Now, a proud look 
is, is lumped in with hands that shed innocent blood. That's called murder. It's lumped in with uh, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. That's, that's wickedness. That's deviations. Feet that be swift to running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. Listen, folks, we need to be careful that we don't get involved in these activities to sow discord among the brethren. Who are the brethren? You're my brethren. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I need to be so cautious that I don't do anything to cause discord. And you need to be very cautious that you don't do anything or say anything to cause discord. But know this, that pride is an abomination to God. And the worst thing about pride is that pride is a sin that causes many people to go to their grave without Christ. You know, if you're self-sufficient, then you don't need Jesus. But I want to tell you something today. You're not self-sufficient. Don't let anybody convince you that you're self-sufficient. Don't let anybody convince you that you can get there on your merit. Don't let anybody try to convince you that you're good enough to get to heaven. You're not. You can go, but it's only through faith in Jesus Christ. Now let me talk about the third category of sin that he talks about here very, very briefly. The third category of sin is uncontrolled desire. As an example of uncontrolled desire, it brings to mind the two cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah. The sins for which they were renowned were sexual in nature. Okay, We live in a culture where sex is, has become everything. If you read in Genesis 19, you discover that nothing was off limits. Sexually, in Sodom and Gomorrah, nothing was off limits. Sexual sins were allowed among those who were unmarried. Sexual sins between married couples who were not married to each other. There were sexual sins in Sodom and Gomorrah between those of the same sex. In fact, Lot even offered his unmarried daughters who had never known a man he offered them to the men of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah if they would just leave the men that he had invited into his house alone, who we know to be messengers from God. He offered his own children. Now that sounds horrific to me, but as horrific as it sounds, it sounds a little too familiar to our culture. We live in the 21st century and things are not so different today in this 21st century and 21st century even in America as they were in Sodom and Gomorrah back then. It's uncontrolled desire. Some time ago I read an article in the Austin newspaper about sex in the church. Now I know you're not supposed to use those two words in the same deal and I pray that this will not be too uncomfortable for you but you need to understand what this said. This article was written in 1991. 1991. How long ago is that? That's 25 years ago. Listen to what it says. It says, A national committee of Presbyterians has shaken the church by recommending the denomination rid itself of sexual taboos and view sexual relations as a God-given gift to be enjoyed by everyone, including single men and women, gays and lesbians, 
and responsible adolescence. It goes on to say that the beliefs of the church must change or the church will be seen increasingly as irrelevant to most people's lifestyles. Now that's a novel idea. If people are not living by the rules that God laid out, then let's just change the rules to suit our situation. That's exactly what that article says they did. They wanted to do. They wanted to change. Oh, listen, it doesn't matter what God says in His Word. That's called unbelief. We talked about that a while ago. It doesn't matter what God says in His Word that's right and wrong. Let's just vote on it. And we'll decide what's right and what's wrong. We don't need God to show us the way. Those were the words of the church. <laughs> wow. That's why the people of God need to band together. Those who are truly believing what God says is His Word, we need to band together. We need to stand up and we've got to be different. We can't be like that or like them. Folks, the final authority is not you, it's not me, it's not even the government. Oh, preacher, the government says it's okay. Does that make it right with God? No, not unless God says it's okay too. Is it okay for the government to say it's okay if God says it's not okay? No, but they don't listen to God anyway. Thought I'd get an amen out of that. Folks, God is the final authority, and He says uncontrolled desire is sin, whether it's sex, whether it's vanity, whether it's affluence, whether it's money or sports or drugs or beverage, alcohol, doesn't matter. What God says is the truth. And I know that I may have caused somebody to kind of squirm a little bit when I used the thing beverage, alcohol. Well, you wonder about that. Listen to the word of the Lord. Back to Isaiah chapter 5. This is verse 22 and verse 23. It says, Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which, now listen, here's what they do, which justify the wicked for reward. He continues in verse 24. Let me read that again for you. They have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. They've despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Friend, the subject today is sin and judgment. That's where we started. And where you find sin, judgment is not far behind. I think that there's people today who wonder why our country's in the shape that it's in. Listen, all God has to do to pronounce judgment is just lift His hand. <laughs> all He has to do is turn us loose because we're self-destructive. And when He raises His hand, when He steps back, exactly what He did in our Sunday school lesson when, when Achan took the, the devoted things out of Jericho and hid them in his tent. He wasn't supposed to take anything. Wasn't supposed to take any spoils. And the result was that Joshua sent 
the people to take the city of Ai, a small city, should have been a small battle, shouldn't have been any problem. He sent them out and they were defeated. And you see what happened. It was the sin of one man that caused the whole group, the whole congregation of the children of Israel to fall under the judgment of God. And all God had to do was just step back and say, okay, this is your battle. You handle it the best you can. But I'm going to tell you something. You're in trouble. <laughs> You're in trouble. And they were defeated. They were beaten back because God said, okay, that's the way you want it. Then just do the best you can. Father, we thank You today that You love us. We thank You today that You are the God of second chances. That Father, even, even in that situation, You gave the Israelites a second chance, but they had to listen to You. And God, I pray today that every person in this place has heard from God today. Dear Father, You know that I prayed ahead of time that they'd not hear what I had to say, but they'd hear what You have to say. And God, I pray right now that by the power of Your Spirit, You'll do Your work and move amongst us. Father, speak to our hearts. Look down deep inside and reveal those sins. Father, shine Your light on those sins that are in our life. And dear God, may we not be overtaken by uncontrolled desire and by unchecked pride and by unbelief. God, we know that those things bring judgment in our lives and in our hearts and in our families, upon our cities and our schools and upon our nation. So God, help us to have the courage to walk every day in faith, representing you and showing the truth of the Word of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. A podcast of this service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. To listen to the service at any time, go to the KCAA Sunday schedule and click the podcast link under the image of Pastor McNary. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. You're listening to KCAA, Loma Linda, California. The best station in the nation. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. It's a fact. Going to college costs money. But how much you pay depends on how much you know. An expert shares tips to help you avoid taking on debt. Now I tested this with a profile, someone with a 2.7 GPA and a 19 on the ACT, interest in full writing, gets $315,000 of scholarships available. That's just amazing. Then, get a ticket while driving these days and your insurance rates may spike. How much? 
will have the details. It's definitely going to cause your rate to rise, but how much depends on the type of violation you get, and it also depends on the state where you live. Those two stories and more are coming up on this week's Info Track. Stay tuned. The show begins right after this. I'm Dan Jaffe, CEO of Cat's Pride Fresh and Light Premium Cat Litter. Ever wonder why your cat spends so much time asleep? I'll tell you why after this. Hi, I'm Katherine Heigl, film and television actress and producer and CEO of the Jason Debus Heigl Foundation. A supporter of animal rights, our foundation is excited to announce our partnership with Cat's Pride Cat Litter. Cat's Pride has always been a major supporter of the organizations like the American Humane Association and the Anti-Cruelty Society. And today, a portion of every sale of Cat's Pride Fresh and Light Ultimate Care will be donated to support our work protecting the rights and eliminating the needless suffering of animals in shelters across the country. It's great litter, and it supports a great cause. In the wild, cats are predators and must do quite a bit of chasing before they can feast on their prey. They've evolved to rest for most of the time they don't spend hunting in order to save up enough strength to catch their dinner. House cats, of course, have left survival of the fittest behind, but still sleep about 16 hours a day. Log on to CatsPride.com to download coupons and be sure to join the Cats Pride Club. Number one soccer mom, plus three-day tournament, times 22 kids all chasing one ball, and a ref who's overwhelmed, equals... Oh, penalty! Come on! Laryngitis. You can't control the game, but with United Healthcare, you can have better control of your care. With a mobile app that helps you find a local doctor and has your digital ID card for easy access. Learn more at UHC.com. United Healthcare. Services not available for all plans. How strong is Allegra D? It's my congestion's out of my way strong. Even in the park, playing with my dogs. Go fetch, Bosley. Allegra D, a fast, non-drowsy antihistamine plus a powerful decongestant that starts relieving your toughest allergy symptoms in under one hour. Allegra D is breathing free for 24 hours strong, even in the convertible. Allegra D, strong relief for your allergy symptoms. Guaranteed or your money back. Visit Allegra.com. Use only as directed. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Getting accepted into college is great, but paying the bills isn't so great. An expert has tips to avoid taking on college debt. With the story, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Our guest is Stephen Roberts. He's an expert in how to pay for college. His own 2008 engineering degree was paid for by more than 11 scholarships and grants, and he's helped thousands of other people save on college expenses. And he's the author now of a book called Winning the Money Game in College. You know, as high school students approach the college application process and figuring out how to pay for it, it's certainly intimidating. How do you recommend that parents and students start I recommend about seven steps to kind of get away from the application fee because what the problem is is that if you say want to go to 10 schools, they'll all have their own application fee, right around $65, give or take a little. But in any case, that would be 650 bucks just for the opportunity to apply. Mm. There's a couple ways to actually get out of this application fee. The first and foundational one, and most people won't believe me that this works, but it does. It's this. Ask them how to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounds really simple, but it's amazing because the admissions counselor 
they know what the university or a college can do and can get out of it. And they'll tell you what you need to do to basically get out of the fee. So that's the very first step is being able to get out of the application fee just by asking them. Sometimes they'll even just wave it right there. Because it's not a hard and fast fee because they realize they're going to get money through tuition, through books, and other things. They're just trying to discourage people from blanket applying to everywhere across the country. The second way of being able to waive the application fee is attend a college event. If you live near the college, this works great, where they'll have some type of an event, like come see our campus, get a tour, and they'll waive the application fee common.